Jamaica with James Bond, Platform 9 and 3 quarters with Harry Potter, and King's Landing from Game of Thrones. This week, it's all about film tourism. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the place where we explore the world's best food and drinks at DestinationEatDrink.com and on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, I'm talking with travel writer and podcaster Pip Jones about film tourism. But first, if you've been enjoying Destination Eat Drink, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. We do a lot more at Destination Eat Drink besides the podcast. There's foodie travel guides to cities all over the world at DestinationEatDrink.com and videos on YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. And we're constantly adding new stuff, so sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all the great foodie travel info. You can do that at DestinationEatDrink.com. Pip Jones is a travel writer whose extensive portfolio includes work with Rough Guides, Brand Guides, Culture Trip, The Daily Mirror, The Independent, and many others. She also hosts the wildly popular Travel Goals podcast. Pip and I talk about film tourism, the trend of visiting locations made famous in movies and on TV. She tells me about Jamaica and James Bond locations, including a famous spot where Daniel Craig got his daily fix of jerk chicken. Then we talk Game of Thrones and cool spots to visit and great stuff to eat like black risotto, grilled fish, olives, and adding honey to your tea with a sprig of rosemary. Then we visit Northern Ireland for more Game of Thrones, including the Dark Hedges and the Game of Thrones doors. Pip also tells me about London's Borough Market and its connection to Harry Potter, as well as all the great food to sample there. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Pip Jones from PipInTheCity.com. Welcome back to Destination, eat, drink. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's so good to be back. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's been like over two years since we last talked. It was at that time, it was the height of the pandemic, which is, you know, the perfect time to do a travel podcast, right? <laughs> you were locked down at home in Wales. And at that time, you told me all kinds of cool stuff to eat and drink in Wales. And now here we are. Two and a half years later, however long it's been, emerging from this lockdown, we're able to travel again. So I'm excited to talk to you about um, film tourism. But first, what have you been up to lately? Well, as you said, travel's starting to come back. So it's just been manic for me. I've been on multiple trips, writing for magazines and newspapers, producing my podcast, the Travel Goals podcast. We've been doing destination episodes of that in St. Lucia, in Peru, in Morocco. So I've been on back-to-back trips pretty much the last few months. I've just been to Gabon in West Africa. I went back to Morocco. I've been to the Netherlands recently, and I'm about to go to Dublin this weekend, so I'm very excited for that. So yeah, it's just been a crazy time for me as travel has ramped right back up, which is incredible because, as you said, we were locked down pretty hard here in Wales, so it's absolutely wonderful to be back out on the road again. 
we give people an idea as to where you are. Wales is on the west of the British island, um, to the west of England, and uh, shares a border with England. But then to the west of that, you go across the sea. What is that? The Irish Sea over there to Ireland. It is. And then one thing I always wanted to do, I'm sure you're flying to Dublin. One thing I always wanted to do is to take that ferry from uh, Wales, or I think there's also one maybe from Liverpool, over to uh, Ireland. Have you ever done that? Well, it's funny you should say that, Brent. I'm actually going to be doing that later in the year. So I am flying to Dublin uh, for this trip because it's a very short visit. But in April, I'll actually be taking the ferry over with Irish ferries. And they've got two different routes from Wales, from West Wales and from the North Anglesey over to Ireland and I'm going to be revisiting some of the Game of Thrones locations because I haven't been for a couple of years and this April it's going to be 12 years since the first episode aired so I thought why not head back over and explore some of those locations see the new Game of Thrones studio tour in Northern Ireland as well and see just how Ireland is still kind of capitalising on that Game of Thrones connection. Because obviously it's been quite a few years now and the series wrapped up in 2019. So I'm really interested to see how they're still kind of extending that film tourism and still keeping that kind of Westeros spirit alive over there. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And report back to us on how that ferry ride is, because that's always something that I've wanted to do. And I've, I've never done it because it is a little bit time consuming. It's so much easier just to fly. Um, and that's why we've got you here, Pip. We want to talk about film tourism. You're an expert. You write weekly film, uh, weekly film tourism newsletter. You write bunches and bunches of articles about film tourism, not only about Game of Thrones, but James Bond and other um, film-related tourism topics. So I wanted to talk to you about film tourism. It seems to me, I remember as a kid, every once in a while you'd go to a place and they said, oh, such and such was filmed here, but it was never a huge deal. Now film tourism seems like it has just exploded in the last few years. Do you credit uh, Game of Thrones in particular, or are there other reasons why film tourism has become so incredibly popular? I think actually social media probably has a lot to do with it, because if you think about it, when you were watching a film, you know, in the 80s or 90s, showing my age now here, Brent. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, I was watching in the 70s, so. (laughs) (laughs) There was no real way of knowing where that location was because you couldn't hop on Google and see like, you know, where was Gremlins filmed, for example, or Indiana Jones, etc. But what you can do now is you could research these locations, you can visit them, you can take a picture and then you can post it on Instagram and then other people also then find out about that location. So if you're visiting, say, New Zealand, some of the Lord of the Rings locations there, or in London and Oxford, the Harry Potter locations, you can actually visit yourself, take the snaps and post them. And then it's that kind of organic sort of marketing, isn't it? You're letting other people know, hey, I went to this James Bond location, for example, and you can too. So I actually think the internet and social media has got a lot to do with the ramping up of film tourism, because it's just so much easier to find out where these places are. Let's talk about James Bond a little bit, because you're a big, big James Bond fan. Um, and I, I think am. 
I think the first question everyone asks, I, I remember saying, I remember asking this question like in the 80s, back when there were only three James Bond actors, uh, Sean Connery, uh, Roger Moore, and uh, George Lazenby, who I think only did one Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And we would we would argue, you know, who's your favorite? Um, you know, is it Roger Moore or Sean Connery? George Lazenby wasn't really part of the conversation. Who's your favorite Bond actor? Now we've had several Bond actors. So my question to you, Pip Jones Who's your favorite Bond actor? This is so tough. I honestly, I bounce between Daniel Craig, who we all love, and Sean Connery, because Craig brought that kind of gritty realism and emotional vulnerability, especially when it comes to his one true bay, Vesper. Um, I'm not having any of this Madeline nonsense. Uh, She's not for him. It's all about Vesper. (laughs) (laughs) But also Sean Connery as well. What a fantastic bond. Obviously, he was the first Bond in 1962 in Dr. No, and he wasn't a well-known actor at the time. And he certainly wasn't Fleming's original choice for the role either. But he's just effortlessly cool, isn't he? He's got buckets of charm. He's got that roguish nature. You know, he's got the one-liners as well. He looks fantastic in a suit, right? So I actually wrote an article for The Mirror about why Sean Connery is my favourite Bond and I won't change my mind but honestly I do love Daniel Craig as well because I credit him as do a lot of people with really shaking up the series because obviously the Brosnan era of Bond had become a little bit silly hadn't it and I felt like the franchise had lost direction then and casting Daniel Craig and having him play Bond in 2006 in Casino Royale I think was an excellent decision because he really changed the character and brought that kind of rawness as well with it and I so yeah I, I'm a little bit naughty I think I'm gonna have to say Sean Connery and Daniel Craig because they kind of bookend the franchise as well Sean Connery started it and Daniel Craig was the last Bond we've had so far obviously we're waiting for Bond 26 and the whole debate is who's going to be the next 007 but I really think those two were the standout. 007s for me. I got to agree with you, Pip. I mean, Sean Connery was just so cool. And I always felt growing up that, uh, you know, I enjoyed the Roger Moore movies, but like you said with the Pierce Brosnan, they got a little bit silly. I mean, I saw these movies in the theaters when I was a kid and I was like, there was just some ridiculous stuff. I'm like, Sean Connery would never do that, you know? No, no, he would not. (laughs) And he introduced the world to Bond as well. It's that line when he looks at Bond, James Bond, and you're like, oh, every time I watch it, I get shivers. I absolutely love it. So let's talk about uh, some of the film locations. Uh, And I guess Jamaica is where Ian Fleming started writing some of the Bond novels, or at least he wrote a couple of them there. And the first movie was Dr. No, and a lot of that Mm -hmm. takes place in Jamaica, that famous scene where... Ursula Andress appears from the water. Yes. <laughs> um, that was filmed in Jamaica. Tell me a little bit about some locations in, for uh, Dr. No. So obviously, as you said, Jamaica is the birthplace of 007. It's where Fleming created and wrote some of the most famous Bond novels, which of course went on to be the movies. It first appears in Dr. No in 1962. And then again in Live and Let Die in 73. And also in the most recent film in No Time to Die, where Bond has left active service and is hiding out in Jamaica. 
As you reference, one of the most iconic locations is Laughing Waters Beach. And this is where we're introduced to Bond girl Ursula Andress. She famously appears coming out of the water as Honey Rider in that white bikini. She really was the birth of the Bond girl. And this absolutely glorious beach um, acts as Crab Key in the film, but in real life it's called Laughing Waters Beach. And it's Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's really near one of the island's popular attractions, Dunn's River Falls. And it's just a lovely little beach escape that you can visit. And then whilst you're there, there's going to be food places in and around Jamaica where you can try things like jerk chicken, goat curry, pepper pot soup, Jamaican beef patties, all those gorgeous things. Then about an eight minute drive away, uh, from Laughing Waters, you'll find the iconic GoldenEye Resort. This is the former home of Ian Fleming. And obviously, it was the title of the 1995 film with Piers Brosnan. And I don't know if you know this, Brent, but you can actually stay in this villa. Obviously, you're going to need to have some budget. I'm <laughs> not right. going to lie. It's a, <laughs> it's a pricey stay. But you know, if you've got a group of you and you're perhaps your Bond fans, you're celebrating a special location. I really would recommend checking that out and having a little look at it because, you know, you can book a stay in this amazing Fleming villa and live like Bond for a little while. Um, another location is Port Antonio uh, in Jamaica, and that features in No Time to Die. And that's a quite a popular seaside town on the northeast coast of the island. And that's when Bond is kind of living his best post-service life. But of course, that gets shaken up when his old pal Felix Leiter shows up to ask him for help tracking down Safin, you know, that mysterious villain that lives in the volcano lair, classic Bond. <laughs> Obviously, I'm imagining you've seen the film, Brent, and the memorable driving scene in No Time to Die, that was filmed in Port Antonio um, and that was in Market Square. So that kind of like car chase scene because they love a car chase in Bond, right? Got to have at least one in every Bond movie, right? Of course. And when you're exploring the area, uh, following in the footsteps in Bond, you really need to try somewhere called Piggy's Jerk Centre because apparently Daniel Craig absolutely loved it, as did the rest of the crew, and they would eat there regularly. So for some authentic Jamaican food, make sure you check that out as well. So I think with Jamaica, you can book a trip over there and actually hit up several of the Bond locations as well and enjoy, you know, amazing Jamaican food and the beaches as well. A lot of other films were were filmed in Jamaica. So it really is a great place for, you know, a beach holiday and a bit of film tourism as well, if that's what you're into. You mentioned earlier that, uh, well, I mentioned it and you uh, piggybacked on it, that Ursula Andress appears from the water in Dr. No, and that was filmed in Jamaica. It made me think of the scene, oh, and now I can't remember which movie it was, but where uh, Halle Berry kind of reprises that in the orange bikini, she appears from the water. And I remember years ago when we were in uh, Cadiz in uh, Andalusia, Spain, and they said that that scene was filmed in Cadiz in, in Spain. And um, they seem to be playing up that uh, relationship to uh, James Bond. I'm not sure if you're if you're aware of that or if that's true or not, Pip. Ah, well, I know the scene, apparently, the scene where Bond comes out of the ocean, you know, uh, Daniel Craig comes out of the ocean in the little blue shorts. 
as a kind of nod to Halle Berry. That was filmed in the Bahamas. But I believe you're right. I believe Cadiz was used as a stand-in for Cuba at that time. Um, you need to, I'd need to look into it, but I'm pretty sure I'd read um, that before that it's actually acted as a stand-in for Cuba. Um, obviously, because Pierce Brosnan and Harry Belly are Halle Berry. Goodness, I've not had enough coffee today. Um, are meant to be in Cuba during the film, aren't they? So I'm pretty sure you're right on that. Before we leave James Bond, I do have to bring up one other thing because in uh, in my little corner of the world here in Portugal kind of has a connection to Bond. Um, Not only were some scenes filmed here, but Ian Fleming, I found out, when he was in the military during World War II, he came through Portugal, and he visited this town called Estoril, which is just outside of Lisbon. It's on the ocean. It's gorgeous, beautiful place right by um, Cascais. And he was inspired because Portugal was neutral during World War II. He was inspired because there were all of these spies floating around the Estoril um, Casino. And he was inspired to write uh, Casino Royale. And they play up this link to James Bond at the Estoril Casino. Um, So I just thought that was super interesting that uh, this little place, (laughs) this little kind of uh, dingy little casino in Portugal had this relationship with uh, Ian Fleming and James Bond. I love that. And that's the thing about Bond is it's been filmed all over the world, hasn't it? It's, you know, Turkey, Morocco, Hong Kong, Japan, so many places that you can visit and that will have a Bond connection. Switzerland as well, Iceland where the scene where Pierce Brosnan drives over the frozen lake that was famously filmed in Iceland on an unpronounceable lagoon. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a Bond fan, I mean, goodness, there are so many locations with, you know, where it was filmed or with those kind of connections like you just mentioned in Portugal as well, places that inspired Fleming um, when he was writing the books as well. So it's really fascinating because you can visit just a huge range of locations and, you know, walk in 007's footsteps. The last Portugal thing I want to bring up, because it's personal to me, is uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the one and only George Lazenby Bond film. And that was partially filmed in Portugal. But the final climatic scene on the road in the mountain was pretty much in my backyard in the Arabida National Park, which I didn't know until recently. But this is a place I, I go walking there almost every day. I'm going to go for a walk there later on uh, later on this afternoon. And it's right here in, in, my, uh, in my backyard. Now I'm going to have to go back, look at this movie and see if I can figure out where, because ex- there's several mountain roads back in there. I'm going to have to figure out exactly where that uh, climatic scene happens when the, uh, the drive-by shooting goes down. Oh, wow. I'd love to see that. You must send me a picture. Will do. Let's move on to Game of Thrones. Even though Game of Thrones isn't a, wasn't a movie, it was a TV show, it still falls under this category of film tourism. I don't know. What do you call it, Pip? Do you call it film and TV tourism, or do you just call it film tourism? What's, what's the proper uh, nomenclature for that? I just kind of call it film tourism as it kind of, you know, incorporates, I think, TV as well, just for, just for shorthand. I think people understand okay. what you're getting what you're getting at. So we'll call it film tourism with Game of Thrones. 
And like you mentioned, Game of Thrones has been off the air for almost four years now. And I have to admit, I was the one person who didn't watch Game of Thrones. So I'm going to rely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I make this confession to you now. Throw myself on the mercy of the court. Um, but, yeah, I haven't seen it. Although I do have some experience with it just based on my travel. For example, we were in Malta several years ago when Game of Thrones was at its height. And when we went to visit the medieval town of Medina, there were, I noticed a lot of people coming through talking about Game of Thrones. I think there was a Game of Thrones tour at that time. Yeah. In Croatia, everyone was talking about, in Dubrovnik, about Game of Thrones. In fact, you read articles, you read articles for a while there, and uh, Dubrovnik was one of these places that was kind of ground zero for what they called uh, over-tourism, and they would point the finger at uh, cruise ships and Game of Thrones. Those were the two things yeah. that, they, that they blamed it on. So... Um, I'm going to let you kind of take the ball here, Pip, and uh, give me an idea. Let's let's start with Croatia, because I think that's really one of the most famous places for people to go and see things for Game of Thrones. Uh, tell me a little bit about it, if you could. Well, several scenes of King's Landing and Marine and Bravos were filmed during the Game of Thrones seasons, um, with filming largely, as you sent, mentioned, centering around Dubrovnik and the other city of Split, as well as a few other locations. I mean, Dubrovnik's such a fantastic location for filming because, I mean, look at it. It looks like a film set already. <laughs> it's such a absolutely. gorgeous, historic, walled um, old town that's absolutely perfect for filming a fantasy series in particular. So... Dubrovnik's walls, which you can walk, have been featured in several scenes in the show. One of them is where um, Tyrion, Podrick and Bronn walk along the walls as workers repair them after the famous Battle of Blackwater, which fans will be aware of. Um, and that was in episode one of series three. So that was when King's Landing, which Dubrovnik acted as a lot of the time, came under siege because I don't know how much you know about Thrones if you haven't seen it, but obviously the main crux of Thrones is that you've got all these various dynasties all competing for power to sit upon what's called the Iron Throne and to rule over the Seven Kingdoms. And Game of Westeros, where Game of Thrones is set, is kind of like an upside-down Britain and it's got all these different locations um, in the series. And really... And Quite a lot of them are quite fantastical locations. You've got Winterfell in the north. You've got Bravas and Pentos and all these amazing locations. And that's why the series really filmed in a lot of different locations, um, such as Iceland, Malta, Croatia, Northern Ireland, to kind of bring this kind of wondrous world to life, really. Because if you're filming a fantastical series, you need destinations that kind of look a little bit surreal, don't you? And obviously in Croatia with its ancient forts and sparkling blue seas really does look like, the well, basically the set of a fantasy series as well. Absolutely. Other locations as well that I visited is Pyle Harbour in Dubrovnik and the beach on this side of the bay, closer to the old town walls, that was used as the harbour for King's Landing in several scenes in the show. 
And I believe they also run kayak tours from there as well. So if kayaking around Dubrovnik is your thing, that's a great place to go as well. One thing I you touched upon this problem of mass tourism in Dubrovnik and that's something I think is really important. So I've never actually visited Dubrovnik in the summer for that reason. So I know they're quite keen to spread the tourists out. So I've only ever visited in the off season, which I would recommend as well. I think it's just a nicer experience. You can see the Game of Thrones filming locations in the old city with fewer crowds. You know, the prices might be cheaper as well for hotels um, and things are still open. So the main tourist season tends to run from about the beginning of April towards the end of October. And honestly, I think the best time to visit is kind of September, October, because it's still really warm. But there's a lot less people there. Um, And, you know, it's easier to get a seat at a restaurant as well, because as mentioned, it's very busy. And if you do visit some of the restaurants, you know, there's there's a few things I'd recommend there, like black risotto, arancini, grilled fish. And of course, you must try olives that are grown in the Dalmatian region as well. Absolutely superb. So Dubrovnik is a brilliant, brilliant place for film tourism and for food as well. I love the olive oil in Croatia. Um, I have such fond memories of just this green, pungent, fruity olive oil, just fresh pressed, just being set down on the table. It's just absolutely glorious. And the, the honey as well in, uh, in that area of the world is just spectacular. I have, I have this very fond memory, and I, I included it in my novel that I wrote several years ago. And what they did at this place we stayed at, they would give you a sprig of rosemary, and you would use that to dip into the container of honey and bring out the honey with the sprig of rosemary and then stir that into your tea. And so you would get the sweetness of the honey, but you would also get the herbaceousness of the rosemary in with your tea. And it's still, all these years later, a memory that holds with me. That sounds absolutely glorious. You're right, there's some brilliant food in Croatia, especially in and around some of these locations as well. Split's another great place to visit. I'm not sure if you've been for food and a bit of film tourism as well some of the game of thrones scenes were filmed here the cliss forgive my pronunciation here (laughs) (laughs) believe it's called the cliss fortress um and that's a medieval fortress um that's about i think about seven miles or so northeast of split the city and this fortress was where the scenes of daenerys targaryen my favorite character was arriving with her army at the city's gates. um, And I believe that was episode three of season four. Um, And that, this fortress as well, served as the exterior shots um, for Marine, which is one of the locations in Westeros where um, our girl Khaleesi uh, goes around freeing slaves and generally being kind of a badass. Um, We love her, by the way. You must watch Thrones just for her because Amelia Clark is sensational as the mother of dragons. So that's going to be your task okay. after the podcast, right? You need, <laughs> you need to, yeah, you need to get the box set and you need to watch Game of Thrones. Um, I've actually, another place, as you mentioned, is Malta. Several of the scenes were filmed there as well. But actually, what a lot of people don't realise is that 80% of Thrones was actually filmed in Northern Ireland, 
Okay. Let's talk about Northern yeah. Ireland because I read I read that. I've read your articles about uh, Game of Thrones and I was like, oh, I, I've never, you know, I've never seen anyone talk really about Northern Ireland as far as Game of Thrones. I, I see Iceland, Croatia, and Malta mentioned time and time again, but not Northern Ireland. So tell me about that a little bit, Pip. Well, again, it's a perfect setting for film tourism, especially for a fantasy show, because it's got all those enchanting landscapes, isn't it? It's atmospheric hills and kind of the raging ocean, you know, crashing against those gorgeous towering cliffs i i just think it's a brilliant place but yeah most of the series was filmed there production uh was also based there as well and there are so many tours now you can go on a self-guided tour you know you can take your car over on the ferry as we mentioned or you can rent a car you can go on like a game of thrones road trip which is what i'll be doing um in april this year and visit all those locations or you could arrive somewhere like Dublin and book a bunch of tours. So, you know, there's lots of different tours which will take you to the different locations. There's the studio tour in Northern Ireland, in Northern Ireland, in Banbridge, where you can actually see some of the sets and the costumes and the props from the series. But some of my favourite locations to visit in Northern Ireland include the Dark Hedges. Have you heard about this before, Brent? I knew about the dark hedges, mm-hmm. you know, removed from Game of Thrones. I mean, it was it was ah. a pretty well known attraction before Game of Thrones came along, if it I'm was. not mistaken. Because I've seen pictures of it for for years and years and years. Oh, it's absolutely glorious. So D- it's, describe it a little bit because it's it's totally surreal. It is. So it's this avenue, and it's kind of like got that sort of like, you know enchanted quality almost it's like an avenue of beech trees in uh county antrim and it was used as the filming location for the king's road in season two and that's when aya and gendry escape king's landing in the back of a cart and there's a beautiful shot of it in that episode and you can sort of see this lovely line of trees unfortunately storm gertrude kind of wrecked a lot of the trees in 2016 But I know it's really sad, but the one positive outcome, I suppose, was that they actually collected some of the the fallen trees and they turned them into Game of Thrones doors (laughs) that have been placed. Yeah, these beautiful, intricate carved doors that have been placed around Northern Ireland um, and it's called the Journey of Doors. So I've been to several of them and each of them tells the story uh, of episodes, I believe from season six, and they're displayed across the country and you can actually go and visit uh, some of them. One of the places you can visit, one of these doors, is in Ballantoy Harbour, which was the location of the Iron Islands. And this is a really cute harbour that's like a crabbing hotspot as well as a film's location. And it's served as pike, which, as fans will know, is the home of Theon and Yara Greyjoy. And whilst you're there, you can visit a place called the Fullerton Arms, which I absolutely love. And it's this lovely traditional pub, which has an Iron Throne replica that you can sit on, that I have a picture (laughs) on, uh, in in my Khaleesi outfit, obviously. And they've also got one of the Thrones doors there. I believe it's Thrones Door 6, which uh, focuses on Drogon. And that's Daenerys. She's the mother of dragons. That's her most aggressive and fearsome dragon and whilst you're there oh my goodness i hope they still do this dish i'll find out in april i'm sure 
But when I visited, I had an amazing seafood chowder there. Because obviously you can get quite a lot of really fresh, nice seafood in Northern Ireland and in the Republic as well. So if they're still doing that, that dish, which I hope they are, make sure to have the seafood chowder there with their homemade bread. It is absolutely divine. That is something to do. And Pip, you've always got the greatest pub recommendations. I mean, if, if oh, I'm yes. thinking of going to a pub <laughs> anywhere in the UK or I'm Ireland, <laughs> it's like, talk to Pip because she knows the places, man. Let's move on to Harry Potter because I think along with Game of Thrones, Harry Potter's got to be one of the top, top, top film tourism uh, places in the entire world. And of course, there's multiple uh, film places that you can see Harry Potter sites. But talk to me a little bit about where are some of the real life places that we can see that were in the Harry Potter movies. Do you know what, Brent? Once again, this is excellent timing because I next month I will be going on a Harry Potter weekend in London. Oh, nice. and, <laughs> I know, I'm so excited to visit some of the locations because, as you mentioned, Harry Potter was filmed in quite a few places, but obviously London served as some of the locations, and we'll get into that. So I'll be going to experience some of the Harry Potter locations, but also some of the attractions there, such as the Harry Potter studio tour, which I'm sure you've heard about, the famous studio tour where the film series was created and filmed and produced, and there you can see all the props and the sets and the costumes. And I haven't been in a number of years, which is why I'm going back, because they continually update it. So I'm really excited to see what's going on there. There's also the Harry Potter play you might have heard of, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So hopefully I'll be checking that out as well. Um, so whilst it's not a film location, it's obviously still directly related to the series. In terms of of locations for London. Again, like with Thrones and a number of other series, there are guided tours you can book as well. So you can uh, go on sites like TripAdvisor and book like a Harry Potter locations tour where you'll get a Potter enthusiast to take you around the various filming locations. Um, but some of them I like are... Um, Platform nine and three quarters. You must have heard of this, Brent. Of course. Probably the most, yeah, the most famous Harry Potter location in London. It's the <laughs> magical gateway to the Hogwarts Express. And they actually have um, the sign there and they've got like a luggage trolley positioned against it. And they also now have a Harry Potter store. And I think they'll take like a professional picture of you with the luggage trolley as well. So and then you can buy a scarf from the store and like pose with the trolley. So I'm hoping to do that when I go to London next month. I'm really excited about that. Just don't try to disappear through the uh, wall, Pip. That's a... <laughs> 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 as much I as these no places promises. are real, that doesn't <laughs> that, that that that's going to end badly. That's going to end in concussion protocol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no promises. Um, some of the markets were used in London as well, um, like Leiden Hall Market, um, and that first appeared on screen in the Philosopher's Stone um, as Diagon Alley, and that was obviously Harry's first look into the Wizarding World. Um, and the original, some of the original shots were filmed there. And then Borough Market was used later on in the film series as well for some of the shots. And I wanted to highlight Borough Market because I don't know if you've been, Brent, but it is a foodies 
paradise. Oh, great. Tell me about it. So not only has it got all your, obviously, your traditional market produce, you know, your fruits and vegetables and flowers and all these kind of things, but it's actually got quite a lot of street food vendors as well and foodie stands where you can try everything from mushroom pate to paella, goat's cheese to... And then, you know, your cheddar cheeses, you've got your meats, oysters as well. It's a brilliant place if you're a film fan and you like getting all your foodie treats as well. So make sure to swing by there, not just to kind of follow in Harry's footsteps, but also to basically eat your way around the market. My kind of place, definitely going there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> We're in London, Pip, um, and I'm going to ask you again, some of your favorite pub recommendations because you're my go-to pubber. <laughs> well, London, oh, London's got lots of like, what I'd always suggest rather than particular is try and have a little bit of research and try and find some of those like old historic pubs in London because just just have a look around the streets and have a think to yourself like, what's what's super old here? <laughs> 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 like there's lots of traditional pubs oh my goodness I can't think off the top of my head because there's just so many bars and old pubs and restaurants in there I, I I honestly that's a whole separate episode Brent which we should really look into and give <laughs> and given that I'm off to London again next month I'll be able to give you some more up-to-date recommendations but there are so many traditional boozers is what I call in London um and old restaurants and all that kind of thing. So yes, I will visit London and give you some more up-to-date recommendations because, and I'll tell you for why, there's been a lot of change as well since COVID. So some of my favourite London places might have actually closed now, which is why I like to visit these places regularly to see what's new and what's happening. And, you know, obviously it's a real shame that the pandemic caused the closure of so many of these London pubs. So I will come back to you with an update on that. Um, for a wizarding, I don't know if any anyone's interested in a wizarding afternoon tea. Of course. There's a great, um, the Georgian House Hotel, I want to be clear, isn't affiliated with Harry Potter in any way, but they do do a lovely wizarding afternoon tea there, which um, I'm told is excellent and I will be trying next month. And you can also stay in a wizard chamber room as well there. Um, again, it's not like official Harry Potter, but if you're into that kind of like fantasy type stuff, that's a real nice place to go to have, um, you know, a bit of a magical weekend in London as well. Um, and I know along with London, there's obviously places in Oxford as well that you can visit for Harry Potter. Um, obviously, a lot of the colleges served as those grand locations so for example the Christchurch staircase was used in numerous scenes in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets and at the top of that staircase in Oxford is where we see Harry, Hermione and Ron walk to meet Professor McGonagall um, and it's used in several um, other shots as well in that film but the important thing to remember is obviously Christchurch is a working school so you will need to get a ticket if you're a non-student so you can still visit if you don't study there but obviously you will need to book in advance as well there's the Bodleian Library as well again you can tour it and see where some of the scenes from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone were filmed Um, when he goes looking for 
the answers. I don't know if you remember this scene, Brent, in the restricted section. Yes. Uses his invisibility cloak to wander through the stacks and scene. Right. And then obviously he gets interrupted by the caretaker. That's this library is where that was filmed. So again, you can visit um, as long as you get a ticket in advance as well. So there's obviously an Oxford isn't too far away from London. You can get hop on a train over. So you could do a kind of, you know, combination Harry Potter weekend, London and Oxford and go around all your favourite locations. Again, you can self-tour or there are tour companies where you can book tours and go and visit them yourselves. Great advice, Pip. Always so much fun to talk to you. It's been far too long. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink today, sharing with us your knowledge and your enthusiasm for all this cool stuff. Um, I suggest folks check you out at pippinthecity.com. Check out your podcast called Travel Goals and sign up for your newsletter about film tourism if you're interested in more about this topic. So um, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Pip Jones, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's been a joy to talk to you today. Thanks, Brent. We'll definitely have to have a nice coffee or glass of wine soon. Okay, there you go. Great to catch up with Pip on such an interesting topic. Film tourism is definitely becoming more and more popular. Head over to pipinthecity.com. Pip has tons of great food guides and travel guides and travel tips too. Plus, her podcast Travel Goals is available there. I've also got links to Pip's stuff in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED230. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're out in the woods because it's all about foraging. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. There you can sign up for the newsletter and check out all the latest foodie stuff I've posted, including my latest piece about the things that I thought I couldn't live without when we moved to Europe. Some stuff... I haven't missed it all. Other things I do kind of miss. Read that at destinationeatdrink.com slash things. I also posted a video about the best places to try Ginginia, the famous cherry liqueur in Lisbon. Get that on my YouTube channel at Destination Eat Drink 946 or go to destinationeatdrink.com and click on the videos tab. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.